Back when I was a radio show host, when I went to an author's website trying to decide if I wanted to invite them on my show, the first thing I would look for was a press kit. A press kit's a page on an author's website designed specifically for journalists, radio show hosts, TV producers, anyone of that sort with a giant audience they could introduce you to. And if an author didn't have a press kit, I assumed they may not be ready to come on my show. So if you don't have a press kit page on your website, journalists may be making the same assumption about you. Press kit pages don't take long to build and they can go a really long way in getting you booked on TV, radio, podcasts, and more. In fact, they could help you get interviewed by your local paper even, which could help you get into libraries. So it unlocks a whole world of notoriety for you and your book. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about today in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. This episode is for both indie and traditional authors, both published and unpublished. Everyone can benefit from favorable media coverage. So if you want to have favorable media coverage, a press kit will help. It's not a golden ticket, but it will help, and not having one will definitely hurt. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we have a special guest who knows a lot about this. She's a certified writer coach and an award-winning author and the director of the Christian Indie Publishing Association. Susan Neal, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thomas, thank you so much for having me on the show. So let's talk about the press kit page. Let's just jump right in and talk about what to put on the page. Walk us through the elements of a good press kit. Well, first you want to have a bio. And with that bio, you want a short version and maybe a long version. I have one that's two paragraphs. So if they just want to use the first paragraph, that's great. But if they want a longer version, they've got the second paragraph there. And of course, you want your headshot. And you might even do a couple different headshots. Yeah, let, let me go back to the bio because people may be wondering, why do I need two bios? Why not just have a long bio? And the way journalists use those bios is really differently. So if I'm introducing you on my radio show, I want a short bio that's ready to go in third person so I can just read it and introduce you. But if I'm creating a custom bio for you, or maybe I'm a newspaper reporter and I'm writing an article about you, I want a lot of information from a longer bio that I can use to build my own narrative around you, which is why having two versions is so important. And the next would be your headshot. So you want a professional headshot. So if you ever go to a writer's conference, be sure and get a professional headshot taken. That just shows your professionalism in this career. And then you want the headshot that is used across all your social media channels. So Thomas, I see with your headshot, it's the same one over and over again. And that's what you want because you want the individuals to recognize you on Facebook or Instagram, on your website, on your press kit, wherever you may go. A funny story about the standard headshot. Uh, James L. Rubart had a standard headshot of himself that I had seen all over the internet, and I never met him in person. We we both were aware of who the other one was, and we actually met at a airport. I was at the Austin airport leaving, and he was at the Austin airport arriving, and he had a giant poster 
of himself with his own headshot on it. And I looked at the headshot. I'm like, oh, wait, I know who you are. You're James L. Rubart. And that's what led ultimately to the novel marketing podcast was Jim having a consistent headshot across all of his locations on the Internet. So you never know what the benefit of having a consistent headshot is going to be. Then the next element, the third element, is you want your book cover. So you want uh, one book cover for each of your books. You want like the flat Kindle cover versus a 3D cover. And you want it to be downloadable. So when you are being interviewed by the media, they're all going to want the same things. And so the, the press kit provides this. So you want them to be able to download your headshot. You want them to be able to just right click and download your book covers. Which means they need to be high resolution. And this is where the rules change a little bit. Because normally on a web page, you want to put low resolution images. You want to optimize the image to load quickly on the page because the faster web page loads, the higher the web page ranks on search. Google penalizes slow loading web pages, but also people will bounce. And there's been a lot of research done on people's behavior. And the slower a page loads, the angrier and more frustrated somebody gets. <laughs> so if you're wanting them to make a purchase or invite you to speak, you want the page to load quickly normally. But in this instance, high resolution is important because for print, they need the image to be 300 dots prints, which is a really large image in web world. And so I noticed what you do is that you're using HTML to shrink the images on your press kit, but the actual images are very large images. So when you download the image or you right click and hit save as, what you get is a you know several hundred kilobyte. No, it's a three. So I just pulled one of your book covers. It's three megabytes for the book cover which is normally way too big. But in this instance, it is not too big because this is a page with a very specific audience. They're not on their phone. <laughs> Journalists aren't coming to your press kit page on their phone typically. They're coming on their computer with their fast internet connection and they're wanting very high resolution images that they can use in their blog post about you or put in their newspaper article review of your book. So what's the next thing to put in the press kit? So you would want some sample questions and answers for the people who are going to interview you. Many times media, they do not have time to read your whole book. So they're going to like read an excerpt. Maybe you would have a link to a couple of chapters somewhere else. But having interview questions and then what the answer would be, because then the individual podcaster radio show host is going to look through that and decide what they would want to ask you. And they may even come up with questions on the same topic, but still vary and have some differences. But this just gives them a place of where to start. Yeah, there's two different ways that journalists will use this list of questions. So back when I had a radio show, I had a two-hour drive time show every day, two hours of radio, and I might have two or three authors on the show. So there is no way I'm reading two or three books that day to prep the interview questions. And so that style of show, I would lean really heavily on the sample questions, and I would skim the book. Sometimes I wouldn't even own the book. Now, as a podcaster, I do just the opposite. I will specifically look at the list of questions so that I don't ask any of those questions because the assumption is, this person's going on lots of podcasts. They're getting these same questions asked over and over again. And I want my interview to be different. I want my interview to be unique. But in both instances, 
that sample question is helpful. <laughs> it's helping me as the journalist put together a better show, even though I'm using them in two very different ways. So then, like I also said, you wanted to include either an excerpt from the book or a link to read a couple of chapters in the book so that they would, you know, be able to have more of an idea what it is about. That's right. And I'd even include a link to a contact page for them to request a free copy of the book. Because depending on their timeline, right, sometimes it's like, hey, I need to fill a slot tomorrow. There's no way they're going to take advantage of that. But sometimes, for, especially for book reviewers, they may have a really long lead time. And if you're traditionally published, your publisher, in most cases, can be very happy to send a f- sample copy to a journalist. And if you're indie published, you'd better be happy to spend that $5 because <laughs> you're going to get that. But it's a much better investment to spend $5 or $10 to send a free copy of your book to a journalist than it would be to send, spend that same money on advertising. The advertising might return, you know, you spend $10 in ads, you might get $15 back in sales. You spend $10 sending a book to a journalist that could in, result in hundreds of dollars of sales. The ROI is really good in the media talking you up. Yeah, so that's a great idea to have in there to go ahead and send them a book if they would want it. And then you want any kind of a review or testimonial. If you got a testimonial or an endorsement by someone who's famous, or then that would be great to include there. And you could, you know, any type of a great review. So you want to show that as well. And you could include a link to a PDF that they could download to provide additional reviews and testimonials. Next is you want to link to any media coverage you have secured. So you want to show them that you are going to do a great job on their show. So you want to have links to all these different interviews that you've done before. And even if you've only done two or three, then begin with that. And with each interview, you will improve on the first one. You're so nervous. But then by the 10th one, you just get better and better at this. So it's just like practice makes perfect, like riding a bicycle. And so give it a shot, uh, get those interviews going, and then show the links so that the media specialists can listen for a few minutes and make sure they would want to have you on their show. This is critical. Podcasters want to know that you have a good podcast mic, that you know how to talk into it, that you know how to put sentences together. And radio too, frankly, the days of calling into the radio station with your cell phone or or your landline are really dated. And if anybody's like, oh, you have to have a landline for calling into radio shows, I'll say as a radio host, I never did that. I would use Skype because I'd get a much higher quality connection with Skype. And nowadays we would use Zoom or something similar. Clearfeed's really popular with a lot of radio stations. They will want to connect to you through your computer, not through your phone, and they want to know that you've got a computer and a microphone that can handle that. But it's also important because journalists like to do the safe thing. They want to interview people that other journalists are interviewing. And if you're using WordPress, there's a really easy way to do this. What I recommend is every time you have a media interview, you write a blog post about it, just a short one. Like, hey, I was on such and such show. Here's where you can click to listen. Maybe you even embed if they have a way to embed where people can listen right there in the blog post. And then you create a special category in WordPress called media interviews. And then if you're using a modern theme framework like Divi, 
you can embed just the titles of all those blog posts in your press kit page automatically so that next time you do a media interview, all you have to do is create the blog post, which is a good practice, right? Podcasters like it when you promote their podcast to your audience, right? That's a big reason a lot of podcasters have guests on and radio as well, right? It's like, why do people, why do shows have guests to grow their audience, right? They're hoping that you will bring your audience to their show. And if you're writing blog posts about it, that's a good proof. It's like, Hey, the last 10 shows that had me on, I had wrote a blog post. I promoted them. Here's a link to that post and a, a link to those episodes. They can check you out and they can get a good feel for your interviews. And depending on the level of show prep, they will listen to those interviews so they can ask you different questions or go a different direction. And so you're making it a lot easier to book you both in the sense of feeling comfortable having you on the show, but also in the sense of doing the preparation so that it is a good interview. And also with the press kit media kit, you could do it to where you have it all on one page or I've done it to where I have it on two pages. So one of them is a media page and it has all my interviews. I have like links to all my articles, television shows, radio podcast, magazine articles, you know, whatever I've done there with the link. And then I have a separate press kit and that includes all the information that the show host needs that we've discussed so far. And you can find that at my website, susanuneal.com. And it's under the About Page tab. It's where you could see where it's separated between the two versus the one. And what do you think, Thomas, of having two versus one? I like having it all on one page just because when I was a radio show host, I liked having a single tab with all of Because I'd have a tab with my notes for the interview often and Google Docs that my producer could see on the other side of the glass. And then I'd have the page of the author's website up and I could go back and forth. Having a third tab would have made things a little bit more complicated for me. But it's not the end of the world. And if I had done the appropriate amount of show prep, which... I totally always did and never skimped at the last minute as <laughs> trying to do show prep. Um, I would have pulled all that information into the Google Doc ahead of time. And so if I had done a sufficient amount of prep, I wouldn't have been leaning on the page. I would have been leaning on the doc. But the thing about live radio is that it's very uncertain. And sometimes you have dead air to, to fill and you make a plan and then the callers happen. <laughs> the weather happens and Life doesn't always go according to plan in live radio, which is what makes it fun, especially an afternoon drive show. There could be a shooting or something, and suddenly everyone wants to talk about that and not all of the cool topics that you had prepared, which is something to keep in mind. If you have an interview booked for live TV or radio, you are at the whims of the weather of the news. So if there's a big news event, you might get pushed. A very famous account of this was, I want to say Max Licato had this really big book launch planned for September 11th, 2001, and no one remembers what the book was. <laughs> and all this media lined up, and, you know, he's a big author, and it says big launch, and the book totally flopped because he couldn't get anyone to talk about the book for a month because something happened, 2001, September 11th, that everyone was talking about instead. And one of the downsides of a media strategy is that you're more susceptible to these things that are completely out of your control, Right. If, you know, America has a war that's declared, everyone's going to talk about that. And no one's going to talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about. Whereas talking to your own email list, you might still be able to get through to them. Although I think a war declared, I think that's big enough where <laughs> even that wouldn't be enough. But if you have two pages, I don't think it's the end of the world. 
Okay. And then another item which I haven't mentioned is if you have a book trailer, you've, you know, gone to the trouble of creating a great video book trailer, have a link to that there because that shows you speaking as well. And usually it's done very well. And then you could also have possibly like a link or an excerpt of your press kit. And a press kit is more like what you would write for newspapers and to connect it, like you said, to an event, to a current event, and then have that on there. So it kind of grabs them. Oh, so you're talking about press releases. Yes, press release. Yes. Uh, Which we have an episode all about press releases uh, that we'll have a link to in the show note, uh, how to put together press releases, how to get them out to journalists. And if you are creating press releases, the same trick that I talked about with interviews about having the category in your blog and having them embedded in your press kit, you can do with press releases. In fact, for corporate press kits for companies, like if you were to go to a company's press kit, you'll find that that press kit is 80% press releases. (laughs) So it'll have the history of the company and a lot of photos and logo guidelines, hopefully. But then it's like press release after press release after press release is a big part of it. For an author, press releases are a smaller part of the strategy. But if you are going through the effort to create real honest-to-goodness press releases, you definitely want to link to them in the press kit. And really for all time. So maybe you only show the 10 most recent ones. But if you're making a lot, you want to have a link to the older ones because that is really helpful for a journalist to be able to go through the older press releases to get context of who you are and where you come from or who your company is, that sort of thing. Right. And then you want to have your social media links. So, and you also, whenever you're being interviewed by someone, you want to be sure and friend them on all their social media links. And after you've been interviewed, then you want to go ahead and tag them so that they see that you are posting their podcast, their radio show, whatever it may be. That's right. Especially if you don't have the social media links as a part of your design. So some websites have, you know, the social icons at the top or bottom of the website. I feel especially websites from five or 10 years ago, back when people were really enthusiastic about Facebook and we're really happy to put this corporate logo on their website. (laughs) So nowadays you're seeing that less and less. People are putting the logos on their websites less nowadays, partly because they're not as active or they're more strategic, right? They just do Instagram, right? There's a lot of people very proud about the fact I don't do Facebook. I just do Instagram. I mean, they're both owned by the same company, but (laughs) Instagram is less evil. Some people say feel, although other people feel it's more evil, but this isn't the social media episode, but I will say, Journalists do like to go to your social media to check you out. And it's a another way where they can do research about you. They can look at your past tweets and look at your past Facebook updates. And now they may be doing this in a hostile way, right? So be careful what you post on social media. But yeah, you're not going to hide it, right? Not putting the link isn't going to keep them from finding you on Twitter. It just annoys them a little bit. And in general, you don't want journalists annoyed with you unless you're doing it on purpose and very strategically. And then you want to have something very important, and that is your contact information. So you want to make it easy for them to email you or even call you. So have both of those on there. Yeah, for some authors, this is the only time they put a phone number and the only place they put a phone number on their website. So you go to their contact page, and it's just a contact form. But if you go to their press kit page, they'll have a phone number there because they want 
to be available for that last minute booking. Um, Because, you know, you got a radio show host or a TV show and they had somebody and that person can't come. And now they have to fill that open spot. So a lot of the openings for potential interviews are last minute openings and they go to the person who's prepared. And so being the person who's prepared is, is important, but you also have to be contactable, right? And then you'll be able to get you on the phone and be like, Hey, can you come on the show in 10 minutes? And the person who's able to be contacted and willing to say yes to that is going to get a lot more bookings. And that's often a really good way to get started where you're like, Hey, if you ever have, you reach out to journalists in your topic, it's like, if you ever need a last minute interview, let me know. That's how I got started as a speaker. I did last minute speakers would drop off at conferences and I would give the talk. In fact, one time I was at South by Southwest and the speakers just didn't show up and the room was empty. And the South by Southwest protocol is if the speaker doesn't show up, uh, one of the attendees can give the talk. So me and one other lady kind of organized a discussion on the topic <laughs> with the stupid with the people right there. And uh, it was a great opportunity. So I know some of you are afraid putting your phone number there. And if you're really afraid putting your phone number there, you can always get a Google voice number that can shield your phone number so they don't know your actual phone number. They only know your Google voice number. But there is a real benefit, especially if you write nonfiction, but even for novelists to be quickly and immediately contactable. And then another thing that I did, a little extra added, was links to additional photographs. So I'm like the healthy living lady. I write books on healthy living and improving your health and optimal weight. And so I had, you know, beautiful professional photographs taken in my fruit orchard. I get my farm fresh eggs and my uh, vegetable garden. So I, I have those there so that if uh, any of the media want to use additional photographs, uh, they can. Now, I noticed that you link those in Dropbox. So why that instead of just linking them on your website? Um, I- because it's quite a few different ones. And it's like some of them are in the garden, some of them are exercise classes. So it depends upon what topic and, you know, versus cluttering up the whole page. I was trying to make the page be more succinct to the point media doesn't have a lot of time. So we're talking hundreds of photos here. Mm, I don't know, maybe a dozen. Okay. So... If it's hundreds, I definitely understand linking to a Dropbox folder because it keeps it keeps it from being overwhelming. But the downside of linking to Dropbox is that it won't be indexed on Google. So if somebody's doing a search for your name on Google and doing a Google image search, those images that exist in the Dropbox folder won't come up. So if I'm a journalist, because a lot of journalists won't go to your website, so they'll assume it's not helpful. Because unfortunately, a lot of author websites are awful. And they go to Google Images instead, which is why it's really important to have well-optimized images. We talked about this a couple of episodes ago when we talked about about pages. You want to have some good photos of you that are search optimized so that when people do hit pieces on you, (laughs) they're using at least a good photo. But, you know, if you have, I I could say going both ways. But if you're having just a few, I'd put them just on your website and keep it less complicated because somebody doesn't have a Dropbox account, you're adding a lot of steps for them to get access to these photos. And that's all I had. What have I missed, Thomas? I think that's it. For some authors, they may do something kind of quirky or or unique that's tied to their topic. But those are the core things that back when I was a journalist, 
that I would be looking for. I was looking for those headshots. I was looking for that bio. I was looking for those sample questions. But mostly I was looking for, have you been on the radio before? Have you been on a podcast before? And I have a lot of people on that's their very first time, but I know it's going to be a lot more work getting them up to speed than it would be if somebody's done dozens of interviews before. And I want to be able to find that out ahead of time, (laughs) know what I'm getting into, so to speak. Uh, What are some mistakes that you see authors make with their press kits? It's too long. It's cluttered. The bio is huge. The professional headshot is not a professional headshot. It's a picture that somebody else, you know, took of them, a selfie. Let's talk about that because that is a really common issue of bad headshots. People feel like, oh, I've just bought this $1,000 phone and I saw Apple or Google did a big presentation where you can take amazing photos with this phone. So I'm going to hand the phone to my husband and he's going to take photos of me. And it's like, Believe it or not, what photographers do is more than just push the shutter button on the camera. <laughs> There's a whole profession there and a real skill set in creating a high-quality photograph. And when you think that it's just about the device, you're really robbing yourself of an expert who can really help you put your best foot forward and, and really look professional. And you're at a disadvantage of the people who are hiring professional photographers to help them look as good as they possibly can and, and convey the emotion that they're wanting to convey. And and I will say part of it is having a good expensive camera allows for what's called a bokeh effect, which is a, a blurry background, which is really useful for putting text on top of for, I don't know, say a magazine spread, right? Like there's a real advantage, whereas uh, cameras tend to have everything in focus, which makes it a lot harder to work with as a journalist. You have to do more work, more manipulation with the photo to try to get it where you want it to be. And again, all of these things are just making you harder to book. So having those professional photos is really important. And I should probably do a whole episode just on tips of working with photographers. We do have some blog posts on it. We'll link in the show notes of how to help a photographer get the best image that connects the best with your book and with your audience. But yeah, your husband with a smartphone is not the photo you want. I know it's cheap. I know it's easy, but unless he's a photographer, then that's not uh, the way to go. Uh, so what are some other mistakes that you see people make? I'm not sure. Um, just making it too long. You'd have to add to that. Yeah. So remember, it's a website. You can link to a, an even longer bio. And this is, I guess, one thing we talk about the differences between the press kit and the about page. I've from time to time done episodes where I share my story. So back in episode 300, I shared the story of author media. And back in episode 250, I shared my story, my personal story. And that's a really long bio, right? That's too long for an about page, too long for a press kit page, but really easy where I have like the short bio, what I call the medium bio. And then instead of the super long, you know, 3000 word bio, I just like, and you click here for the even longer, you know, story of Thomas. And you don't have to put everything on one page. So, but it's okay to have, if you have written that really long story of your life, put it in a blog post. (laughs) You can link to blog posts really easily. I do it in every episode. We link to past episodes, which are blog posts. And let's talk a little bit about the difference between an about page and a press kit page. Because for people who just listened to the about me page, they're like, this is a lot of the same elements. And it's okay for these pages to be similar. The one thing to keep in mind, I would say, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, is that the audience is really different. So the press kit page is not 
designed to be a very popular page. If you only have five people a month come to your website and click on that page and all five of them book you for their podcasts, that's a successful page. <laughs> Whereas the about page is a really popular page. It's often the second, sometimes the number one most visited page on a website. And it's for kind of a more typical reader, a more typical visitor. And they have a more general set of things that they're looking for in the about page. What are your thoughts on that? I, with the about page, I like to try and solve a reader's problem. You are going to, you know, improve your health and optimal weight by, you know, following these seven steps. So it's kind of like, what is the issue? What's the problem? And how can I solve that for you? That's what I'm trying to do on the about page. So you're really presenting your story as a story of inspiration and solution. Yes. For readers, which is a really common nonfiction technique. If you're a novelist, <laughs> don't feel like you have to somehow make your life story a solution to somebody's problem. because That's not going to work as easily. And it's not as much what people are looking for. And this is what's so fun about this is that novelists and nonfiction writers approach things differently. They're solving some of the same problems, but they solve them in very different ways. It's a little bit like uh, the Marines and the Army. You think they're the same if you don't know anything about them, but the more you learn about them, the more of the differences you start to see in the It's almost two different religions. <laughs> um, and uh, they don't always get along, uh, especially in World War II. And with the press kit, I'm sending media there. That's not, you know, that's underneath the about page. That's not really for everybody to go there. That's the link that I give to media. And last year, I won the Christian Author Network Excellence in Broadcast Media Award for being on 29 podcasts in eight months and selling 5,000 books. So every single time they ask, the media asks for the same thing over and over again, social media links, headshot, book cover, bio. And it was just, oh, after a dozen of these, it was like, I'm going to make a page. <laughs> <laughs> so it decreased my work so much. So if you are going to go on a podcast tour, if you are going to be booked with lots of media, this is going to save you a lot of time. It, it really does. And it's not just that it saves you time, you're going to put more work into this page than you are into that email that you send them, which means that you're putting an even better foot forward, right? Because your first email that you get from a journalist, you're going to put a lot of work into it. You're going to copy and paste all the things. You're going to get it just right. But the 20th one, you're going to cut corners. <laughs> you're, you're going to be tempted to because it's a lot of hassle to go grab all of those photos and attaching them all doesn't fit. And so we're we going to Dropbox it or Google Drive it. And it's a real big hassle. So maybe you just send them one photo as an option instead of the two or three that you would have. And, and you end up doing a worse job. And uh, where the press kit lives is one thing I want to talk about. And one thing, Susan, actually, I'd I suggest for your website, I will say, as a journalist, uh, where I go, the first place to look for a press kit is actually the footer of a website. On most company websites, it's, it lives right next to the privacy and terms of service pages. And partly because they don't want regular visitors hitting the press kit page, because often there's sensitive contact information. They don't want the PR team flooded with customer service requests. And so you're like, but I'm an author. I'm not getting customer service requests. I was like, yes, but the same journalists that are covering you are the same journalists covering all those companies. And that's where they're expecting to find the press kit page is in the footer of your website. And it doesn't mean it's the only place you link to it, but it, again, it depends on 
how many people you want coming to the page. And if you're having a problem with people calling your cell phone <laughs> that you have in your press kit page, just put it in the footer. And the people who need to hit it, that's where they're going to look for it. And they're going to find it every time. Well, thanks for that suggestion, Thomas. And, you know, I just also want to take a minute, Thomas, and just thank you so much for providing us authors with so much knowledge through this podcast. And uh, when I get in the car and I've got somewhere to go, I turn it on and I've just gained so much knowledge. So thank you for taking the time for sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, thank you, Susan. It's kind of you to say. Uh, so tell us a little bit. You, you said you, you were on 28 uh, or 26, forget the number of podcasts. That's quite a few. I know you've also been on a lot of major corporate media, national media. So tell us a little bit about your story of how you used your books and your writing to grow your kind of national prominence and then how that led to more books and more writing. Well, I have an MBA, so marketing just comes naturally. You know, um, I was just at the Florida Christian Writers Conference, and one of the speakers was like, oh, yeah, I had published this book, da-da-da, and she didn't say the name of it. And it's like, I rose my hand, it's like, hey, uh, what was your book's name? I mean, is that like not the perfect time to tell them about your book? And so a lot of us authors don't want to be, oh, just talk about me and it's about me and it's about, no, we, we don't want that. What, what it is, is it's, it's how you are taking the reader away with your fiction writing or with the nonfiction, how you are solving their problem. So we are there for our reader. So I just kept reaching out and reaching out and my beginning tip was every month I tried to be on one podcast interview, one magazine article, and one guest blog post per month. And after about two years, I did well with that, except I wasn't as on as many podcast interviews. So last year was like, you know what, I'm going to just do podcasts and focus on that. And I did. And I was on 29 and eight months and they went great. And I'll tell you what, I was a lot better on the 29th one than I was on the first one. <laughs> <laughs> it really does take practice. Uh, you know, it helps to go through courses and to get training, but ultimately you can't learn a bicycle reading a book. You got to just do it and don't put all of your eggs on that one interview, right? Plan to do more than one, but walk us through your process. So what would you do to get that blog interview? What would you do to get that podcast interview? Okay. Well, you know, for the podcast, what I do is I tell them I wrote an iTunes review for them. I've listened to their podcast. I make sure I want to be on their podcast and how can I help their listener? You know, or for a magazine, how can I help their reader? The same with the blog post. You want to do your homework. Don't just go on there. I'm sure you get many requests that are like, it has nothing to do with what you pitched. So I've taken the time to write a podcast interview. And I usually also say how I like their podcast, magazine, whatever type of media. And this is really powerful because the act of doing this forces you to figure out what the goal of that podcast is. And then it allows you to say, you know, I identify your goal. I, I see that you're trying to entertain or I see that you're trying to educate in this specific way. 
And then when you're pitching it, you're like, I can help you educate better or on this specific topic. And you're able to fit the bait for the fish, which makes it much more likely that they're going to bite. Yes, yes. And then I tell how I'm qualified. I'm, you know, Susan Neal. I have an MBA and master's in health science. I'm a registered nurse. I'm a health and wellness coach. I wrote the book, Seven Steps to Get Off Sugar and Carbohydrates, which has sold over 20,000 copies in the past three and a half years, and it's indie published, and I've written a healthy living series, and and so you wanted to tell how you're qualified, and how am I best to write about this topic? It's because for me, a decade ago, I lost my health. I had 10 medical diagnoses, two surgeries, gaining weight. I was a train wreck. So I can come back to the testimony of I know what it feels like to not want to get out of bed. And I, um, my body healed. And so I take an approach to how can you improve your health, your lifestyle, your well-being. So there's two different kinds of credibility. There's the, I've studied this, I'm the expert, and I've got the degrees, and the, I've experienced it myself. And what you're doing is a hybrid of those. You're not a doctor, but you are a nurse, and you experienced it yourself. So while somebody who's writing about it, you know, and they're a doctor, like, well, I have more medical degrees, and that's true, but if they haven't also experienced it, it gives you an edge, and it also gives somebody booking you two different ways to take the interview, right? They could go with a tell us your story type interview, which is probably, I imagine what you do more often because that's what most media really like. They like an interesting story and people like to listen to interesting stories. This kind of show where it's more of do this, then do this is a less common. <laughs> uh, you'll notice we're getting to the story at the end, not at the beginning. It's a very deliberate approach that we do here because this is more of an educational but stories are really powerful and people remember stories. And so finding a way to share your story, that's why that bio is so important. And connecting the bio with what you write is helpful, not just for nonfiction, but for fiction as well, right? You talk about how experiences in your life inspired the stories that you write, gives it more credibility and it makes it easier to interview you or easier to have you on a radio show. Yes. And, and so now I've moved on from that as well. And I have a, a dual product. And that is I've been successful at marketing. And so I'm now the director of Christian Indie Publishing Association, which is an association that has all these different products, uh, your author media kit, how you do moth author media interviews, media pitches, there's 10 courses, 20 plus guides, 20 discounts, Discount on ISBN numbers, free Ingram Spark title setup. I mean, just on and on. For indie authors, you save a lot of money by getting into this association, which is very reasonably priced. So it's at christianpublishers.net. So now I'm serving a population of authors to help them market their books. So you're using kind of collective bargaining, so to speak, to negotiate with these companies, be like, hey, offer our members an exclusive discount and we'll promote your service to our audience. Yes, yes. Which is great. And there's other organizations that do this for indie authors in the general market. But that's the thing. The more you niche down, the less you compete. <laughs> so 
by making the Christian indie author, suddenly you're not competing with those general market ones quite as much. And we will have links to Susan Neal's website if you want to check out more about her or her health books. We'll also have a link to her press kit if you want to take a look at that. I'll also have a link to my press kit if you want to see how it's done. Mine's done in Divi using kind of the Divi tools. Uh, the Divi, of course, is the theme for WordPress that I recommend. But you don't have to use Divi to make a great-looking press kit. And if you want to see a non-Divi press kit, go to SusanO'Neill.com. <laughs> she's, she's not using Divi for hers, and yet hers looks great. Uh, Susan, do you have any final tips or encouragement? Yes, I would just say if you want the author media kit guide, it's on christianpublishers.net. You just go down to the end of the page and you click on it and there's your 10-page guide to how to create an author media kit. Press kit, media kit, we use those terms interchangeably. So one term hasn't won yet. So if if any of you all are thinking author media is in my company, that's not what it is. It's a press kit. And we'll have a link to that if any of you want to get that guide, that free guide, in the show notes at authormedia.com slash 305. Our sponsor today is my course, How to Get Booked as a Podcast Guest. This course walks you through how to reach out to podcasters, how to pitch them, and how to nail the interview. So a lot of the things that I learned in my time in radio and also doing guest interviews and being interviewed, those hard-learned lessons I put into this course will help you not just get booked, but get invited back. And if you're a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, you can save 50% off the price of that course. So you can find out more at authormedia.com slash courses. And speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is Peter DeHaan, author of 52 Churches. Peter and his wife have visited a different Christian church every Sunday for a year. This book is their story. Discover more about Christ Jesus's church the people who go there, and just how vast our practices of worship are. And Peter DeHaan, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast and keeping the show on the air. And one of the perks of being a patron at the $10 level is that you get access to our podcast host directory, which is a search engine where you can search and find the email addresses of over 100,000 different podcasters. So if you're trying to figure out how do I get a hold of this podcast, podcast host directory is a really useful tool and it's given only to patrons of the novel marketing podcast there's no other way to get access to it and you can find out more about that at podcasthostdirectory.com you have been listening to thomas umstadt jr and susan neal on the novel marketing podcast our blog post version is done by shauna lettler the audio is edited by william umstadt and Lori christine does our booking and production. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.